Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, could you please open them to First uh, Peter, chapter two, verses uh, thirteen through twenty-five. I'll use the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> um, as we open up, I just want to say how thankful it is that we have a Savior who's risen, and we have, as we just sang, you know, our, our sin runs deep, and His grace is more. And that just hit me this morning. I know my sin runs deep, and His grace is more, and we celebrate that this morning. But we're in First Peter, chapter two. Um, Pastor Nick's going to preach on verses 13 through 25, so I'm just going to read those now. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Morning, everybody. This morning, I have the privilege of giving us a reminder that we may not want to hear. But that's the way it is sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes God tells us things that we really long to hear. And sometimes he tells us things that we need to hear, whether we want to hear it or not. And to frame our conversation over the next number of minutes, I want to begin by talking about a couple of the realities of our current cultural moment. The idea of authority and the idea of individualism often seem to stand in paradox during our time. And likewise, the idea of freedom and the idea of submission seem to be in some ways contradictory. And yet for Americans, and even for Christians, we have a difficult time reconciling these ideas of both freedom and submission and how they live together. And so today we live in this really unique time in the West. We live in a time right now that we might be able to describe as the age of the individual. And this is not a new trend whether it's been growing for decades or maybe even for a few centuries, 
In the West, there has been a marked shift from a focus on the community to the focus on the individual. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong necessarily. There are benefits and liabilities attached to each focus. Some of the benefits of a cultural of individualism is that people work harder. They take responsibility. They enjoy many of the benefits of that responsibility. And some of the results of our time of individualism right now is that you hear and you feel maybe a heightened focus on personal preferences, on individual or personal rights, on personal freedoms, and probably as a Christian, even your personal spiritual life. The idea that your faith is between you and God and nobody else. You see those points of focus right now, maybe more than even in recent years, don't you? As the government navigates a pandemic and we try to navigate that as well. As we move into an election cycle and you hear a lot of conversation about personal rights and personal freedoms. So this age of individualism is one reality that we live in right now. It's the sea that we're swimming in. There's another aspect, another reality that's related to this. Perhaps now than many times in recent history, we live in what we might call an anti-authoritarian age. To be anti-authoritarian means what it sounds like that there is an inherent suspicion of the authorities who are over us. Most people are generally happy to follow authorities that are above them as long as those authorities agree with the decisions that they would make personally. But the real question is, how do we respond when my personal preferences or maybe even what I perceive to be my personal rights contradict what the authorities above me are trying to do. For many people, this has caused an undertow of anti-authoritarianism. And you see it in families, how children relate to their parents differently than they did 30 years ago. You see it in schools with how students relate to their teachers differently than they did 10 years ago. You see it in the workplace, and you see it, of course, as it relates to our government. That's what's going on today. That's the sea in which we swim. Those are some of the influences that inform our thinking. And the scripture has something to say to us on this matter, and we would do well to hear the reminder Verse 13, Peter says in this section of his letter, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 13 essentially says, submit to the government authorities who are over you. 
even in an election year, even not knowing the result of the coming election. And the idea of being subject to authorities means to submit. It means to obey. The command is pretty clear, and it's quite direct, and it's not one that I know I typically want to be reminded of, and I'm sure that you probably, many of us feel the same way, because the idea of submitting ourselves to anything feels like weakness. But it's an idea, this willful submission, that is repeated throughout this section. Verse 13, be subject to every human institution. Verse 18, servants be subject to your masters. Chapter 3, verse 1, likewise wives be subject to your husbands. And this raises many questions for us and a very specific temptation. Because I don't know about you, but when I hear the command to submit myself to somebody or something, my immediate thought is, what are the exceptions to that rule? (laughs) How can I get out of this command? Surely it is not universally applicable. We have that temptation, don't we? To say that this text doesn't apply all the time. Let's think about all the times that it doesn't because there's a lot of bad authorities out there. There's a lot of wicked leaders in the world and it's our desire to avoid them. And in that desire to avoid them, we might be tempted to paint all leaders or all authorities in the same light. And then if we do that, we can move this conversation from what Peter is really getting at about submission and we can convert this conversation to a good conversation about civil disobedience. That would be fun to talk about. We might be tempted to shift the how and why that we submit to the how and the why that we don't have to submit. And undoubtedly, friends, there is a time for civil disobedience. And we see some passages in Scripture that would seem to indicate that to us. Typically, we would say that civil disobedience or disobeying the governing authorities over us would be, would be allowable or even preferable when they command something that God forbids or forbids something that God commands. But that is not the thrust of this passage. In fact, willful submission is a much more common thread throughout the Bible than ongoing civil disobedience. And Peter says, that we are to submit to the government authorities that are over us even when the leaders are bad ones. Look at what he refers to as the emperor as supreme or the governors who are sent by him. The emperor he's referring to is most likely the emperor Nero, 
who killed Christians for fun, who burned down Rome because of his lust to build a greater and bigger city and then blamed the Christians for doing so. And if it wasn't Nero, some claim that it could have been the later emperor Domitian who claimed to be a god. If you think that the narcissistic tendencies of some of our political leaders means that we shouldn't obey them, then their tendencies, you need to know, their shortcomings in this regard pale in comparison to the emperors of Rome. And yet Peter says to the Christians that they are to obey that emperor. Paul echoes the same sentiment in Romans chapter 13 when he talks about submission. He says in Romans 13, 1 to 4, you can see it on the screen behind me, let every person submit or be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we live in this reality where God is the ultimate authority over all things and all people, and he raises up people, he establishes earthly authorities over us. When you think of the earthly authorities that are over us, some of them you might say, okay, I can see that one. (laughs) And some of them you might say, I don't know what you're doing there, God, but I don't know that I approve. We don't know all the reasons why. But right here in verse 14, he says that these authorities have a function. They punish those who are evil and they praise those who do good. And in this sense, the authorities above us are an extension of God's common grace for all people on the planet. What does this mean? It means that even though I don't like where all my tax dollars go, I still pay my taxes. It means that even though I don't like all of the laws of the state of Ohio, that I still abide by them. It means that even though I wish that some of our local commissioners would prioritize different things in our community than they do, I still abide by their ruling. And it means that even though I might not like the outcome of the next election, that I will still recognize our next president as our president. (laughs) And our next slate of congressmen and women as our Congress. I will cast my vote. I'll let my voice be heard. I will trust God and his purposes and I will live in peace 
as a good citizen. And beyond that, what does this mean? It means that you have the opportunity to recognize and to see the good that many of our authorities are doing in this world. We look at our police and our fire departments and we thank God for the good work that they do. I benefit from the agencies that are attacking fraud and fighting against the drug trade in our communities. I see the good things that come from those in authority and I thank God for them, even though I may or may not agree with all of the things that they're doing. It's a hard word. Submit to those in authority, even if they're bad leaders in your estimation. But that is the word that Peter gives. And he has an intention behind it. He has a particular reason why we should submit. You might have noticed that he calls on the Christians to do this in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Did you see that phrase? For the Lord's sake. And that begs the question, how is doing this for the Lord's sake? And I think there's two ways. If you look back with me just a couple of verses, verses 11 and 12, Peter encourages the Christians toward good works. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so we see Keep your conduct as honorable. Do good deeds. Let them see your good deeds and as a result, glorify God. We submit to the authorities above us as an expression of our good deeds which will ultimately bring glory to God. That's intention number one. Intention number two, we see that submission to authorities is actually a defense of the gospel. We might not think normally that submission as a position of weakness is actually a defense for the things of the Lord. But Peter says as much in verse 15. He says, look at it with me. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There are plenty of accusations out there against Christians. Perhaps some of the more common ones are, well, those Christians are up to something, up to something rather suspicious, up to something no good. And Peter says the way to silence such accusations is through doing good and honorable works like submitting to those in authority. Do good and submit. This is an apologetic for the gospel. And do it for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, he says, we submit to the authorities over us. For the Lord's sake. And that leads us, I think, back to our tension that we feel internally. The tension between submission and freedom. And Peter tells us what our freedom is for. Naturally, 
we might think that submission means that we give up freedom. And yet it seems that for Peter, these things are not necessarily opposed to each other. Verses 16 and 17 help us understand what freedom is for. It says that we live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the empire, emperor. Did you know that your freedom is for your good, but it's also for the good of others? When you think about freedom, you most often think that I have my freedom for my benefit, for my good, for my desire, for my protection, for my pleasure, for my preferences. And there's certainly a sense that that's true. But did you know that your freedom is also for serving other people? That's what Peter says. He says that freedom, the purpose of freedom, is for serving. And so, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood of Christians. Fear God. Even honor the president. Even honor the Congress. Even honor the narcissistic murdering emperor. Freedom is for serving. And this is for the sake of the Lord. And that leads us to the next kind of relationship that he talks about. In verses 18 to 20, we see that he tells us to submit to those who employ us. Look at it with me. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is the gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, when we see a little description of the relationship between servants and masters, or some of your translations might say, slaves and masters. We've got to be careful here because immediately we might want to import our historical understanding about the American slave trade. But slavery and servanthood in the ancient world was very, very different in many ways. Peter doesn't condemn the practice of slavery here as, as you might think Many of you just thinking about slavery in our American context say, well, why does he even address this? Why doesn't he just abolish slavery altogether by way of a command? That's what he should do. But he doesn't do that because he doesn't have in mind the type of slavery or servanthood that's racially motivated, that's permanent in its ways like the early American states did. The Bible does condemn that kind of slavery through a number of different commands and in various exhortations. But here we see that slavery in the ancient world could mean a variety of things. It could mean being a household manager. It could be working on a large farm or a compound. It could be someone who positioned themselves as a servant because they 
could not have food and shelter of their own. And so it provided security for them. Or perhaps they had become indebted to somebody. And so as a result, they indentured their self to pay off their debts for a period of time. The relationship that he's talking about right here is much more akin to the relationship between an employer and an employee than a slave and a master in the American context. And he says, submit to those who employ you. And you think, but what if the employer doesn't treat you so well? Verse 18, respect not only those who are good, but also those who are unjust. To be unjust means to be unfair, to be crooked, to be a cheater. And verse 19 says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God you endure sorrows while suffering. Again, it says, a gracious thing in the sight of God, verse 20. A gracious thing. It's gracious. It shows grace to endure suffering for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, we submit to the authorities over us. And when we do, even in their unjust treatment of us, we show God's grace. By way of contrast, We are not honoring to God if, when we are treated unjustly, we retaliate in sin, even if it's unjust. Now, that's also pretty easy to talk about and pretty difficult to live out. But God calls us to endure suffering with grace. And this is particularly true in situations with people who have authority over us. And so we don't live in the time of slaves and masters. We live in the time of employees and employers. What are the implications? I think there's a couple. Number one, we're reminded that how we conduct ourselves in all of our relationships should be out of reverence to God. Furthermore, number two, how we conduct ourselves should fulfill the obligations of relationships that we have, even if they're not fulfilling their end of the bargain. When you are an employee of someone, you have an obligation in that relationship to your employers, whether you like it or not. Regardless of their character, an employee should fulfill his or her obligations. Have you ever had a boss who's a total jerk? None of you. I have. I'm not talking about the type of boss that just seems to be conceited or really all about himself or herself. I'm not talking about the type of boss that might be sharp with his or her words. I'm not talking about the type of boss that even would just press upon you a significant workload. I'm talking about the type of boss who would seem to be just in it for himself. One boss I had was of such character. I'd work hard, I'd do what I was told, I was told it wasn't enough. So I'd take initiative, I'd work harder, I'd press farther, and he'd say, what are you doing? Just do what you're told, don't do anything beyond that. 
Stay in your place. Don't step out of your lane. All of this was because the boss was insecure on a power trip, wanted to flex his muscles a bit at my expense. Did I want to work for him? No. (laughs) But it was the job I had at the time. And God says that enduring suffering in those types of situations by submitting to the authorities above you, even if they're unjust, is fulfilling your obligation, it's commendable, it's honorable, and it's even a gracious thing. For the Lord's sake, we submit to the authorities over us. For the Lord's sake. Verses 21 and 25 give us one more reason, and we close with this morning. Why we obey the leaders even when they're unjust. And we do so because in doing so, we imitate our Lord Jesus himself. Look with me at verse 21. For this you, you have been called. What is the this? For this you've been called. The this is to do good works by submitting to the authorities above you for the Lord's sake. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Follow the example of Jesus. You know, imitation is what people do when they look up to the one that they're imitating. If you want to be like somebody else, you imitate them. Sometimes imitation can be good. Sometimes imitation can be bad. Whenever I grab my tools to do a project around the house, my five-year-old grabs his tools. And he comes right alongside of me, and he imitates me during the project. And even though it takes me twice as long as a result, I wouldn't trade it. Some of our kids right now are imitating their parents in how they talk about politics in the upcoming election. That could be good or it could be bad. Here, we imitate Jesus. He is our Savior. He suffered giving us an example. He did not sin in his suffering, it says, and neither should we. He continued trusting himself to the Lord, his Father God, by entrusting himself to the authorities, and he did so all the way to his death. He did not retaliate. He did not revile. He did not, he did not uh, deceive. He did not threaten. He trusted the righteous judge of the universe who would make every single situation right. He knew that there's a higher authority than the ones here on earth to which all of us will answer someday. God himself, the righteous judge who is working out a plan for the history of this world to reconcile all things to himself. And if God is my protector and my judge and he knows my situation and he knows the authorities over me, then how great is the hope that I have in the power of ultimate authority even if the intermediate authority is not to my liking. And by his death, Jesus 
unjustly bore the penalty for my sins and for yours. A penalty that I deserved and you deserved. But he did so that by his wounds we would be healed. And that sin would no longer reign over us and have power over us. And that we could now do good things and live righteously by faith in God and enjoy him forever. He suffered for God's sake. And we were the ones who benefited. And so Peter says, imitate him. <laughs> this is good news. If you are here today and you are carrying the burden and the weight of shame and guilt and sin, then you need to know that Jesus suffered unjustly and paid the penalty that you need to pay. But you don't have to pay it anymore because he's already done it. All you need to do is to reach out to him in faith and ask him for forgiveness. And he will give it to you. Friends, if you are failing under the burden of unjust suffering right now in your job, if you are fearful of the election that's coming up, and what it might mean for you or your family or your business or your kids or your grandkids, then you need to know that your Savior himself also suffered. And God may allow you to be low for a time, just like Jesus, who unjustly suffered. But, just like Jesus, you too will be exalted at the proper time. And so for the Lord's sake, we submit to the authorities over us. I want to close this morning with thinking about just two things very briefly. It's interesting, isn't it? What do we mean when we say we do something for the Lord's sake? If you say, I'm going to do something for your sake, what does that mean? Well, it can mean a number of different things. It means for their benefit. It means we do that because we love them. It means that we're willing to sacrifice something for them. And it probably means, if we're doing that, that we trust them. And what does it mean to trust somebody? How do you get to a place where you trust somebody? Well, often, you might trust somebody because of their position. And friends, we know that God is in the position of supremacy over all of creation. And so we trust him. We trust somebody because of their knowledge. And we know that God, the righteous judge, sees all and hears all and knows all things. And so we trust him. And we trust somebody because they can relate to our situation. And as you've heard the saying, don't judge me until you've walked a mile in my shoes. Well, guess what? Jesus can relate to our situation because he was the example of suffering graciously in the face of injustice. And we trust somebody because they care 
and they show that care for us. And we know that God has cared for our most significant needs in the sacrifice of his son, and he cares for our daily needs by his providential hand, and so we trust him. We trust God. And so we submit to the authorities above us for his sake. Let's pray. Father, help us to trust you all the more. And help us to live humbly and peacefully in the right type of willful submission in days that are difficult with leaders, some of whom are suspect. We desire to do good for your sake. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.